I don't know if you remember a lot of stuff when you were a child, but, um, you know, there are certain memories that sort of never really leave you when you're a kid. And I remember when my parents accepted the call to go to become international missionaries in South America, Brazil. I was uh, eight at the time. And my pastor, my pastor, my father was a pastor at, uh, at, at, uh, at Sunday Glen Baptist Church, I think in Cedar Hill, Texas, uh, somewhere in through there. And um, I remember sitting down as a family and talking about going to Brazil and they answered the call to become missionaries. And, and, and as an eight-year-old, you know, you sort of imagine certain things, you know, about, about all that. And, and, and you didn't really know what Brazil was like, but you knew there was a jungle there and, and uh, you know, kind of like, Kind of like uh, in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy's going through the jungle. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, lions and tigers. And so I had this in my mind when I was eight years old that we were going to a jungle and there would be lions and tigers and bears. And so we loaded everything up in what we called a crate back then. That was way back in the dark ages. And uh, it was before missionaries actually traveled by plane. My parents are called boat missionaries because they went by boat. And we were on the boat uh, on the ship for almost two weeks and when we arrived, to my surprise, I discovered that uh, Brazil was not a whole lot different than the United States of America. I mean, I'd never been out of Texas, hardly. Uh, I had been to Colorado a few times and New Mexico a few times as a child, but never really out of the country. And I discovered that, that there weren't lions and tigers and bears. They had concrete, they had homes, and, and they had all the things that we had here in the United States. A little bit different, but they had pretty much the same thing. Now, one of the things that was different is the backyards there are much smaller than they are here in the States. And uh, they were surrounded by large walls. And so, as a kid, you know, who's used to being... You know, sort of in the neighborhood we lived in when I was a child when I grew up, there were no fences hardly, there were no boundaries, you just kind of roamed the neighborhood. And so it wasn't, you know, uncommon for me when we got there to roam the neighborhood. And I learned that Brazilian children also roamed the neighborhood. But what they did differently than we did in the States is they played soccer in the streets. And they flew kites in the street. And everything was done in the street. And I, I learned as a small child as I was growing up in Brazil how to survive in the streets. And we would go out and play until almost it was time for dark. And, and I can remember as a child being out of the street, playing something, doing something, flying kites or playing soccer. We played soccer all the time. That when it came time for my parents to call me home, they did something that was somewhat quite embarrassing. But it was consistent throughout the whole time I lived there as a kid. They would stand on our front porch and my parents would yell, Charlie! I mean, real loud. And we lived kind of on a hill, and we were surrounded by the neighborhood on top of the hill. And as you can imagine, especially my mother's voice traveled more than my father's. Now, they listened to this, so I'm going to get a phone call this week. And um, go ahead and call mom and dad. It's okay. And so, and, and as I would be playing, the embarrassment of hearing my name while I was playing with my peers. And then the choice, do I stop? Instantly what I'm doing because I'm having fun and, and make a beeline to the voice that I have just heard, you know, my home. Or do I hesitate and continue to play or do I not answer the call at all? And I knew if I didn't come home shortly after the call, there would come a second call. And after the second call, there was not a third call. And there would be consequences to pay if I didn't come. But I always, when my name was being called in such manner, I always knew who it was. And I knew what they were calling me to do, to stop what I was doing and move in the direction of the voice 
because there was something they had in store for me. Today we're going to talk about the call that God issues to us is much the same. The Bible talks about Jesus himself, describes himself as a shepherd who is extending a call to his sheep. And it describes the sheep, they're in a sheepfold, they're in a, a courtyard, they're in a, they're in a, a pen, so to speak, surrounded by a wall. And this wall is possibly connected to a home or not, but it's a place where the shepherds who are out in the field, they together bring their sheep in one location and they put them in, in this surrounding. More than likely it is connected or maybe close to the connection of another home and and it's surrounded by by some sort of fence but there's only one entrance and one exit only one entrance and exit and they would put their sheep in there for the night and they would station a gatekeeper who was more than likely a hireling he was a hired hand and that was his profession he would stand at the gate or sit at the gate and guard the sheep while the shepherds went in and ate and rested and got up for the next morning And Jesus described himself as the shepherd who comes to the gate and he calls his sheep individually by name, one by one. And they leave the pen, the enclosement, the capture, the other sheep, one by one. They leave. He knows them in advance. And when they hear his voice calling them by name, they leave the sheepfold and they make a beeline for their shepherd. The call coming from the shepherd who is Jesus to his sheep. It was a place and a time in your life, like in mine, that more than likely you heard him call you unto himself for salvation. And that call is a commitment where we make at that point, at that time in our life, a commitment to place our faith and trust in Jesus. We commit to him to be the Lord of our lives. We commit to him to being our savior. We put our trust and our faith in him. But in that commitment to follow his leading, when he calls us to call us out of the fold, to call us out of our captivity and into the freedom that comes when we hear the the call to shepherd to leave the sheepfold, to leave our captivity, and to walk through that single gate toward the shepherd, we enter to this freedom. That is our salvation. But that is not all the call that he issues to us. For the call is not only a call to commit to him as the leader, but a call to continue to make him the leader of our lives. For in the call, when we answer that call for salvation, we must continue to make him the leader and the Lord of our lives. It is not a single call to faith in him as our Savior, but it is a call to a continuation where he then is our Savior and our Lord. We continue to follow that voice that we heard. We step where he steps, we go where he leads, we become what he desires, and we continue in that lifestyle of following him as a disciple. And so our message today really has two points. That if I am to follow the call that Christ issues to us, the great and the good shepherd, it's not only a commitment to make him the leader of my life in a decision of salvation, but it is a continuation of my continuing to go after him as my Lord, as my leader, and as the one who is telling me, instructing me, and wanting me to go. So let's take a look at the passage this morning, and it's, it's kind of a beautiful passage, and I, I like it, I had fun with it. It's very simple, really, and it's almost so simple that it kind of frightened me a little bit. But uh, to follow Christ, I must, first of all, commit. I must commit to his leading. Commit to his leading. 
Notice the passage in verse 1, 2, and 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But who enters by the door is the sheep of the shepherd. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Notice how Jesus exposes the Pharisees as being the ones who are the false shepherds. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is is helping in this connection through divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John is helping us understand that what has proceeded in chapter 9 is somewhat of a continuation of what is about to be revealed from Jesus in chapter 10. For in chapter 9, we see that there was a man who was born blind, and as Jesus and his disciples passed this man who was born blind, his disciples asked Jesus, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sin or the sin of his parents? And Jesus says, neither. He is blind so that he can glorify God. And he picks down some dirt and mixes it with some spit and puts it on his eyes and tells him to go wash himself and he will be able to see. And he does. And he comes back. And those who are familiar with him see him and said, this is the man that was here before and he was blind. He's been blind since birth and now he sees and a discussion erupted and eventually he is taken to the Pharisees and he goes to the Pharisees and there's a discussion there and, and the Pharisees are wanting him to betray Jesus and all he says, I don't know who the man was. All I know that I was blind, but now I see. They call his parents in. His parents won't have anything to do with it because the Bible says they were afraid that they'd be cast out of the synagogue, literally thrown out and, and refuse entry ever again. And so they don't get in the, in the discussion, and they bring him back in. And again, he, he asks them, what do, we, do you want to follow this man as well? And they get really upset. And eventually, at the end of the discussion, they simply, the Bible says, at the end of chapter 9, they cast him out of the synagogue. The Pharisees are done with him. They cannot use him. They can't abuse him. They cast him out. Now Jesus, in chapter 10, compares what he's about to say with what has just happened. Like these false shepherds, the Pharisees. Let me tell you who I am. He exposes them. If you look at the text, their mission is to rob what doesn't belong to them. It's to take sheep out of the sheepfold that belong to someone else. Their means is by climbing over the wall. They don't go through the gate because the gate is not an option for them because they don't know the sheep and the sheep don't know them. So they're climbing over the gate in order to take what doesn't belong to them. And the purpose or the motive for what they do is simply to shear them. It's for their own personal profit and gain. In other words, he's saying these false shepherds, all they're interested in is their own profit and their own gain. The sad reality is we have shepherds today in some churches like that as well. That all they're interested in is their own personal gain. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm not like those kinds of false shepherds. And so he exposes them, but he elevates himself in verse 2. He says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Let me elevate myself as the good shepherd. I am the one. I enter in the right way. I have come through the right process. I have come through the right means. And that means is being born of a virgin. I am the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah. I am coming in through the door that God has established. And the reason why I'm here as the good shepherd, I'm calling forth sheep that belong to me. These sheep are his in advance of this calling. And one by one, he is calling them unto himself. You look later on in verse 3, it says that they are his own. They belong to him. 
And one by one, he's calling them by name unto himself. To leave this pen, to leave this captivity, to leave the, the group of other sheep that don't belong to him, and to step out of that crowd and to walk through the door and to come to his voice. He elevates himself as that shepherd. But notice then lastly in verse 3, he explains the process. He explains how he calls his sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Notice in the text, because they are his, he comes in the right way. And as he approaches the door, the guy who has been, been, been posted there at the entrance to guard and protect the sheep, he recognizes the shepherd as the true shepherd. This is Jesus, the true shepherd. And because he gains access to those sheep, and the sheep then, as he calls them, they hear his voice. And because he knows them and they know him, they recognize his voice as he calls them by name. A shepherd had individual names for each and every one of his sheep. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? You have a name for your dog. You have a name for your cat. Or if you have multiple animals, you have multiple names. Praise God, I, all my plants are plastic and we no longer have animals in our house since our children are gone. So we are free from that. But he called them individually by name. And he, notice, he leads them out of the captivity and out of the pen and into their freedom and into the abundance that the shepherd is about to lead them into. Doesn't that sound like salvation to you? Take a look at what he says later on in verse 7. Turn your Bible. I don't have it on the screen, so uh, dust off those Bibles, open them up. John 10, verse 7. Listen to what Jesus, you know, they're having a little bit of a hard time understanding what Jesus is saying. So he clarifies what he's saying in verse 7. He says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Hey, I am the door. I am the way. I am not only came to the door, but I am the door and the and those who come before me are thieves and the robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, and I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, he said. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, for the sheep. He who is hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take, up, take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus describes himself as the sacrificial lamb who laid down his life so that they could be freed from the captivity of the pen. We talked about it last week for just a little bit. Let me recap it for just a second. If you remember in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, man fell. They did what God told them not to do. They ate of the forbidden fruit. 
And when they did, instantly they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed and they sought fig leaves and they covered themselves with fig leaves. But as is true to man, we cannot cover up our sin and our shame in our own doing. It just doesn't work. And so they knew that they would be exposed for their disobedience. And when God came to walk with them in the garden, as he did many, many times before in the late of the day, they hid themselves from him. And rather than going to where they were, he chose then to call them out. He called them out from their hiding place. Asking them to step out from where they were hiding, from where they were trying to conceal their sin and their shame, and to reveal themselves to him. And they eventually answered his call. And what did he do? He sacrificed an animal, gave his life, so that then, by the giving of that skin, he could then cover their sin and their shame and their nakedness. And from that point on in the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament, a sacrifice had to be given in order for our sin and our shame to be covered up. And Jesus said in John 3, 16, I, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And later he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was that sacrificial lamb, that that willing shepherd who died on a cross for sins that he didn't commit so that as he died and we placed our faith and trust in him, that death, that atonement would then cover our sin and shame and reconcile us into a right relationship with the Father so that he could be not only just our Savior but now our shepherd. Commit to his leading is the first step of following Christ. You cannot follow Christ until you first come to know him intimately and personally. We nailed that down last week. But we, we can't help but continue to come to that time and time again. Because you cannot follow him as your shepherd. You cannot follow him as a disciple without committing to his leading when you place your faith and trust in him as your Savior and your Lord. Many have tried it, but will fail. Because it begins with an intimate love relationship with the shepherd where he calls you by name and you respond to that and you leave the pen, you leave the confinement, you leave the sheepfold who don't belong to him and you move toward him and make him the shepherd, the savior of your life. So we must commit to his leading. Secondly, we must also then continue in his leading. For once we answer the call as our shepherd and we leave the fold in the flock that is held in the pen and we move toward the open gate and we move toward the voice of the shepherd, our Savior, calling us unto himself, notice the continuation of this text. Again, let me reiterate one more time. You cannot claim to be a disciple until you continue to follow him as the Lord, the leader of your life. It is not two different callings. It is the same call. It is the same leading. And there are many who think, well, I can answer the call and get fire insurance, but I don't have to follow him after that. And there are many who say a quick prayer and thinking that they've committed their lives and their hearts to him. And yet after they walk out the door, having made that commitment, being applauded and baptized even and thrown out the door and their names written in the membership of the church Pages, they walk out never, ever to live for him or to follow him beyond that point. We were talking about in the office uh, earlier this week, those who, in their testimony, they claim to be Christ followers, but they never grow spiritually. They never grow spiritually. 
And, and, and I questioned that, and, and I said, well, let me ask you something. When I was born physically, did I have a choice whether or not I grew physically or not, or is it an automatic thing? I mean, would you like to stay six months old your whole life? I know your mom and your dad would not. Right? We want them to walk on their own and, and, and do other things on their own. But it, it, it's, it's something that happens when I'm born physically, I naturally grow physically. I'm convinced that when you are born spiritually, growing spiritually is a natural reflection of something that is, has happened inside. There's a transformation that happens that moves me automatically toward growing in the likeness of Jesus. And it, it, it causes me to question someone who says, I came to faith in Jesus, but I'm still six months old. I think there's been a large part of the church where we have, we, we've, we've got them to pray the prayer and we've dunked them in the baptistry and we've applauded their decision, but we've, we've failed to feed them. I get that. We've failed to assist or, or facilitate in their spiritual growth. And I know there's some in this study that we're going through right now don't really see the value in what we're doing, but I guarantee you that, that, that you and, and all of us together need constant, continual nourishment so that we might grow spiritually. What we're trying to do in 2017 is to grow, to develop us as members into disciples, not just being saved, but continuing to follow Jesus. And that's why the whole push this year in 2017 is that continuation so that we can understand what it means to continue now as saved in this life, what it means to be a fully devoted Christ follower. Notice the text in verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. It's interesting here in this continuation, he says, when he has brought out all his own, he continues to stay there calling out one by one individual, the names of those sheep that he knows and they know him, and he's calling them out one by one, and he stays there calling them until they're all out. He doesn't leave until he has gathered all of his sheep around him. He doesn't go into the fold, into the pen. He stands on the out and he calls them unto himself to leave the pen. It sounds like repentance, sounds like salvation. And when he calls them by name, they gather around him. You see, we can't continue to make him the Lord and continue to follow his leadership unless we are close to him. We must maintain closeness. Because if you're not close to him, you can't follow him. But notice I'm convinced that the wording of the text helps us understand that Jesus is surrounding himself with sheep. And one by one, he's calling them by name and they're coming to him and the sheep are gathered around him. And when the other sheep come, they become a part of the fold of the flock with the other sheep. Notice that a sheep doesn't go off on his own. Well, I'm now out of the pen, I've been called, so I'm gonna wander over here all by myself and do my own thing. They don't do that, why? Because there are elements out there that that are dangerous. They will kill the sheep. There are wolves, there are predators. The sheep stay close to the fold, why? Because they recognize and realize there is safety there. There is the presence of the shepherd. There is provision from the shepherd and they have his protection as long as they're close to the shepherd. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together is a habit of some. And there are many today, as is obvious by this 
this, this sea of empty blue chairs that there are thousands of us who are members of this church who for whatever reason don't feel the need to be here on Sunday morning. You can't make it out there on your own unless you are close to the shepherd and close to the flock. On a regular, consistent basis, we need each other. You wander out there all on your own, you're vulnerable. You're going to become a victim. You're going to be subject to a predator that will kill, steal, and devour you quicker unless you're connected to the fold and in the flock. So I think the first step to continue is to gather close to the shepherd and gather with other sheep. Number two, I think the second step is to get behind the shepherd. Notice it says in verse 4, when he has brought all of his own out, he goes before them. I don't know why we think we have this idea that, that somehow the shepherd is leading from behind, but in Eastern tradition, the shepherd led from the front of the flock, not behind the flock. And he led from the front. And the sheep followed him. And wherever he went, they went. And he was constantly calling them and leading them with his voice. And as the shepherd went, and you know, you can't, and I know sometimes we try to, to bring God down to a level of, of of uh, familiarity and to a level of he's my buddy and all those things you can't follow your shepherd if you're standing side by side to him you can't follow your shepherd if you get ahead of him he has to be in the front and he is the one that takes the lead because he knows where to take you he knows where to provide for you he knows where the protection is he knows all of the things that are necessary in order for you to live out the life that the good shepherd wants you to live and so because he is leading we follow him they don't follow other sheep they follow him and there's sometimes people who got, find themselves following other sheep rather than the shepherd. You aren't following another person. You are following the person, and his name is Jesus. Follow him and follow him alone, and let him get out in the lead, and let him take you where he wants you to go. Don't listen to your peers. Don't listen to our culture. Just follow Jesus. And it's interesting, he says, that not only should we get behind the leader, but we need to go where he leads, and the sheep follow him. They follow him. If you're a disciple, if you're one of the fold, if you're in the flock, wherever he leads, you go. Wherever he leads. Whatever he asks. Whatever he tells you. Whatever he wants. Whatever he wants to change. You follow his leading because that's what sheep do. They go where he leads. But notice lastly in that last part, for they know his voice. Because you know his voice, you give him your full attention. Can you imagine being with a bunch of other sheep following the shepherd? You ever been around sheep? Imagine a couple of hundred of those like that. And you're in the middle of the pack. Okay, we were in a we were celebrating uh, Clarence and Marveline's 87th anniversary. No, it wasn't that much. It was 68th anniversary yesterday, and we went to a restaurant, and it was so stinking loud in there. I had a hard time hearing. Didn't you? It was just loud in there. 
And if you can imagine being with other sheep, it will be loud in there. And if you don't pay close attention, guess what? You're not going to hear the shepherd. Some of us have so many competing voices in our hearts and our lives that we can't even hear the shepherd speak. Well, I don't believe he speaks to me today. Really? Let's, let's talk about what you're listening to. He still speaks today. And, and if we're not careful, we'll follow other sheep, we'll follow other noises, we'll get so distracted that we can't hear the shepherd. And it's important that we understand that we must give him our full attention if we hope to hear him, to know where he's leading so that we'll know where to go. And notice number five in verse five, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of the stranger. It's important that if we're going to continue his leading, we've got to guard against the strangers. Not only are there competing voices among the sheep and in the elements of the world that we live in, but there's an enemy out there. And he wants to be the loudest voice in your life. Notice he is a stranger. A stranger means that he doesn't belong to the shepherd nor the sheep. He is a complete stranger. He doesn't belong. And because he doesn't belong, he's still competing to lead you astray, to lead you away from the fold and away from the shepherd. And his purpose are purely self-motivating and they're for your demise. But notice he says that when a stranger's voice you hear, What's the reaction that you make? You flee. You go, well, let me go check this out. Why don't you go check it out? That's exactly what he wants you to do. He's calling you away from the flock, away from the shepherd, the other sheep, and he's calling you to to come over here. and, And in that distraction, you move away from the shepherd and you move away from the sheep. And as a result of that, you become vulnerable to him. He's like a roaring lion seeking whomever he may devour. And he's devoured many who have been distracted by this strange voice that that they recognize isn't Jesus, it isn't my shepherd, but maybe there's something here that I need to investigate. But notice he says, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. That do not know is an interesting word in the original language. It means that, that they don't know firsthand, they don't know firsthand the knowledge of what it means that that this person is offering. In other words, they are going to flee. They are going to remain pure. They're not going to experiment with that because they know that's a strange voice leading them in the wrong direction, and that is harmful and hurtful for them. They're not even going to know by, by, by checking it out. They are going to just, no way. Not even going there. And so we need to be careful to guard against the enemy. The strange voices. And some of them, honestly, are voices that we recognize because, you know, they're voices that, that we know. That, that's, that's, that's a stranger voice. But, but what I think we need to be careful with, those strange voices that often appear not so strange or maybe voices that appear not so harmful. We talked about it in, in, in the men's breakfast yesterday morning about the snare of the enemy and setting traps for us, right, guys? And, and we're not really, sh- you know, it, th- there are a lot of things that, that, that may be common, but are they 
the best? And do they become distractions that prevent us from following our shepherd? To guard against strangers. And then lastly, to grow in our understanding. Notice verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I think it's interesting that uh, Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand, meaning that they did not understand. That's exactly what he means. They didn't know what Jesus was saying. Well, why didn't these know what Jesus had just said? Because they were not his sheep. Because they were not his sheep. It's kind of like Charlie Brown, you know, on Thanksgiving or Christmas. Wah, 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 wah. You remember my mom? Right? That's an annoying tone, isn't it? Wah, 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 wah. And you go, what? What is that? And Charlie Brown seems to understand what it is. He obviously has wah, wah, wah insight. But these, these, these people can see Jesus' mouth moving and they thinking, here, wah, 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 but they don't understand what he is saying. And the reason they don't understand is because they are not receptive to what he is saying. They're rejecting what he is saying, and they're refusing to accept him as the Messiah. There is no regard to him whatsoever. They have refused to put their faith in him as their Messiah. So what can we learn from that as disciples in this text, knowing that there's some who don't want him as their Messiah. They don't want to hear what he has to say, receive what he has to say, and then respond favorably to it in obedience. Well, it stands to reason that if I'm going to follow him, I need to stay alert and attentive and grow in my understanding as to where he is leading and what he's doing because I am receptive to what he's saying and I want to respond to what he is saying. I don't want to be closed off to him. I want by faith to hear what he is saying and by faith take steps by faith toward he is saying toward what he's saying in order to, to believe and to trust in him that as he leads me, he may not always take me where I want to go, but he takes me where I need to go. He may not always take me where I want to go, but he will take me where I need to go. But isn't it great when our, our hearts are right and he leads us where we want to go because we want to go he wants us to go and we so are in love with him we want to be in his presence under his protection and in his provision one last verse and we close I turn to Luke chapter 9 I want to look at this last illustration and then we'll close Luke 9 verse 57 not on the screen you might need to open your Bible if you want to follow along or if you have one of those light up phones Luke 9, 57. These are some, what many of the, the commentators call would-be followers. These are people who, who, who they, they may have heard the call to follow or they may want to follow, but they don't follow. Because you see, there are always going to be people who don't want to follow Jesus. They're going to be there. They don't want to follow him. Not just the, the false shepherds, but there'll be people in your life that they just don't want to follow Jesus. And here's three of them. Three examples, verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You look at that and say, what's up with that? Here's a guy who wants to follow Jesus 
But because of fear of losing his physical comforts, his physical comforts, you know what about physical comforts? When you follow the good shepherd, there may be times when you're not going to be comfortable. And in the culture that we live in, in this, this, this self-absorbed entitlement culture that likes what we hear in the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, not everything is going to be wonderful and comfortable when you follow Jesus. I hope he makes us uncomfortable. But when we, when we are tempted to fear in the loss of our comforts, those comforts that we have worked hard to, to gain somehow and, and somehow manage to convince ourselves that we deserve these comforts, when in reality we deserve none of them. Because if you think about what Jesus did in the cross, that was anything but comfortable. And aren't you glad he put away and put aside his comfort so that we could be comforted in a different way. Notice verse 58 to another. He said, Jesus speaks to this guy, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead, bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, on the surface, you know, what's wrong with Jesus? This guy wants to go bury his dad. But the reality is he does want to go bury his dad, but his dead more than likely is not really that close to death. He wants to delay following Jesus. Why? Because he wants his dad to die so that he can have his dad's inheritance. What he wants here is he wants a personal confidence in his financial life. He is putting his faith in his resources, not in God's resources. He is a man who doesn't have enough faith. God, Jesus, if I follow you, are you going to provide for me? And he's afraid. He, he wants to establish a nest egg, so to speak, so that he can put his faith in his nest egg rather than put his faith in Jesus as he follows him for Christ to provide for his needs. And so he lacks faith. And because of that, he can't follow Jesus. And notice number 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go and say farewell to those at my house, my family. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He has pressing commitments, and those pressing commitments are his family. And how many have said, Lord, I'll follow you, but what about my family? What about my family? Your family never comes before the shepherd. When he says follow, it's at the expense of everything. And yet many who want to follow Christ allow their families to become a greater priority in their lives rather than following Jesus. I'm not saying your family should not be important, but it's not your first priority. And how many people have sacrificed the call that God has issued upon their lives for the sake of their family. And the whole time, they have missed God's best for their life. So where do we go from here as we close? Final question is simply this. What's my next step to follow Jesus? Not everybody's gonna follow Christ, but are you?
Have you come to the place and the point in your life that you know absolutely for certain that you have committed to making him the leader and the Lord of your life through trusting in his atoning death on the cross for your sin against God? And now you have a right relationship with God because you're committed to Jesus as your Savior and you committed to him to be the Lord of your life. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing an invitation to him. And to my right, to your left, is the next steps. We invite you to come and do that. Maybe another time, another place. I know one person in here this week who made that commitment this week, but you've never stepped forward publicly and followed Christ in baptism. And today you need to do that. Will you come? Go to the next steps area. Declare your intent to follow Jesus and follow him in baptism. Or maybe as a Christ follower, you've committed to him to be the savior of your life, but he's never continued to be the Lord of your life. You've not grown. You've not gone. You've not gotten behind him and let him lead. You're one of those three would-be followers that for whatever reason has a myriad of excuses that are lame. They're lame. And they're preventing you from following Jesus. Will you lay them at the altar today and surrender your all to him? Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow.